Welcome to Women with an F-Tub Mind. I'm your host, Ms. J. Marie. And it's not about awareness anymore. It's about doing the damn thing and ruffling as many feathers as you can. And here, we're about sexual assault, sexual harassment, domestic violence, and the lack of mental health help in our military. And we recognize it's a human issue and not just a specific gender. So just be ready for what we've got to say, because it's time to do the damn thing. Welcome back, listeners. And you know, one of my biggest things is I always talk about mental health and the mental health stigma. And that's one of our many platforms that we have with trying to break that stigma and trying to normalize that it's okay to not be okay. And just being a part of that healing process, whether it is sexual assault trauma, domestic violence, whatever it is that you're going through, mental health does not discriminate. So today I brought on Virginia Cruz, who was an active duty soldier from 1997 to 2006 and is now a commissioned Navy Reserve officer since 2006. She's also a master leveled licensed professional counselor and a national certified counselor specializing in military issues and combat related trauma. She is also the author of The Soldier's Guide to PTSD, How to No Shit Reclaim Your Life. And I thought that was just super important to have on. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Jay. I'm really excited to be here and to connect with your listeners. Of course. And I'm happy to have you on. So during your time, so what did you do? You know, let's talk about your military experience a little bit. What did you do in the Army? Sure. So I, I served mostly as a translator. So I'm an Arabic speaker. And uh, back off, you know, back at the beginning of this war cycle, that gave me a lot of work and a lot of deployments, as you can imagine. So I worked with a panoply of tactical units um, because back at the beginning of the Iraq war, if you wanted to talk to someone, I was pretty much it. This was before we had a, a big focus on, on hiring local uh, translators and interpreters and whatnot. So I, I served with a lot of units. I got to serve with the 1st of the 124th Infantry, Florida National Guard, uh, best brothers I've ever had. Uh, 761st EOD, 3rd ACR, I mean, shit, you name it. Um, I spent, uh, you know, I got to, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, spend a lot of time overseas and really got to uh, to work with locals and to work with a lot of different units. It was a really, it was, uh, it was a great experience slash tough experience. Really? Did you decide, you know, like, I've, I've seen it a lot to where people do, they go active duty, and then they commission as an officer, and that's super common, and I think that's super important, because it gives you the best of both worlds, instead of, like, you understand what the lower levels are like, so why did you go to the Navy, though? It was an easier commissioning process. <laughs> and really? Even being, like, trying to switch over to the Army? Yeah, it was. Um, so the army has changed their commissioning process a lot and not to get too in depth, but uh, this was back in 2000, shoot, I want to say like 2009, 2010 ish. Um, yeah, it, you know, there was a, a two week shake and bake fork and knife school um, over at the Naval War College that was, you know, just right up my alley. Um, it was an easier commissioning process. And um, it, I had a fantasy at the time that if I were commissioned, then I would be able to really make a difference that I couldn't make when I was enlisted. And, um, you know, fantasies get 
pop just like balloons all the time. But that was, you know, that was my thought. That was my thought process. Because I had a, a really tough experience uh, as, as enlisted. Um, you know, after my third deployment uh, to Iraq in 2008, I was really at my absolute lowest when it came to PTSD. And I had a little bit of a work incident. And my boss directed me to see a psychiatrist. So I was stationed overseas at the time in Germany. So I was uh, command directed to go to a military treatment facility and I saw a psychiatrist, uh, active duty military officer, so army officer, a male colonel. Now at this time, Jay, I was, I was overwhelmed. I was drinking a lot. I was suicidal and I was really vulnerable. I knew that something was seriously wrong with me. Something was wrong with my mental health, but I, I didn't understand what that was. I was just really frightened. So I went to this, uh, so I went to this appointment for the better and talked with the psychiatrist for the better part of an hour. I answered all of his questions. I, I really poured my heart out. And at the end of our time together, he looked me in the eye and said, you know, Virginia, I, you know, I know you're hurting, but there's nothing I can do to help you if you're not being honest with me. And I was bewildered by that comment. So he further qualified it by saying, you know, we all know that women don't serve in combat. And I, I was literally yeah. about to add, that was going to be my next question was, you know, being a female, because com- females in combat roles was not a thing while you serve, like during your time. So I was like curious to how that worked out, especially with you being like, even as a translator, like did that contribute to a lot of, you know, your mental health? Being a translator or kind of the Just experience? like, did it, did you, let me word that better. <laughs> did being a female when females like during that time like you went through a very different era during your time and females weren't even they were not really even being considered for a combat role so you you saw the shit you were in the shit especially as one of the few very few translators do you think being a female though like made things harder for you you know honestly it didn't i i my combat my experience especially with with active duty and reserve and, and uh, national guard troops is really, was really outstanding. Um, I think what stung more and what really contributed to, to kind of feeling kicked while I was down was my experience afterwards. Um, You know, this, you know, being told by, you know, someone who is active duty, um, and, and, you know, a slick sleeve, what we call in, in the army, somebody who hasn't deployed themselves. Um, you know, he, he labeled me with what we call a personality disorder. He completely dismissed my experience. And I felt like I was kicked while I was already down. And, you know, not, not just kicked, but, you know, by another service member who was supposed to have my back. And, and this was such an opposite experience to what I had when I, when I did deploy, um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, now, now that I've talked with literally, you know, over a thousand service members and veterans, I found that my experience um, isn't a one-off, you know, unfortunately, this is, you know, an experience for, for women in the military, um, especially for women, but also um, persons of color and those who identify as part of the queer community. You know, having our experiences really dismissed, being gaslighted, it's it's pretty tough. And so at that point, 
I, I, you know, that betrayal cut so deeply, Jay. And it was at that point that I really seriously thought about giving up. Uh, and I realized that if I didn't help myself, if I, if I didn't figure out my way out of this, I was literally going to die either by insanity or by my own hand. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it gave me, it gave me the, the oomph to enroll in graduate school. And 13 years later, you know, here I am talking to you. And yeah, one of my first gigs after I got licensed as a, as a therapist is I got a teaching job, um, teaching active duty service members in an inpatient facility uh, about PTSD and what we call co-occurring disorders. You know, at that time, really, uh, uh, mostly drug and alcohol abuse. And they gave me a curriculum to teach. And it, it was super accurate. You know, it was really, you know, it was very professionally written, you know, talking about the amygdala and the frontal lobes and all the brain science. But it was not relatable. And so I, I was about to say, if you get into all the big terminologies and talking to military people, like being a Marine, you just saying those words just now, like I knew what you meant. But you get a group full of Marines and trying to talk about PTSD. They're just going to look at you and be like, what? Yeah, it, it, you know, as, as a translator, you know, and now as a therapist, you know, language matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. How you language talk, matters. how you carry yourself, everything. Yep. It matters. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, what was it that I needed when I was at my lowest point? What was it that I needed to hear? And, and what I needed was a, was a good NCO. What I needed was some hip pocket training. So what I needed at that time was to understand exactly what was happening to me. I needed to understand is what I am experiencing, is this normal or am I batshit? I needed to understand in very plain terms, what are my options to get better? I needed to understand the step-by-step how-to on how to implement those options. I needed to know how to talk to my family, the people who support me and love me. I needed to know how to talk to my chain of command. And I really needed those action steps for after treatment so that I don't relapse. And um, so I rewrote the curriculum and started teaching this to troops. They stayed on me uh, throughout the years. And eventually this book really is my love letter to them. Um, this, is, this, is, this is from you know one service member to another. And so I created the Soldier's Guide to PTSD, uh, where you know, we've got audiobook, uh, ebook, and we even have uh, a, a quick start guide and workbook coming out because everybody, Lottie Dottie, everybody deserves to understand their PTSD and how to get better. Absolutely. And, you know, like we, a lot of people write books, but like what was, so kind of give for our listeners, if they're interested, like, oh, well, maybe I want to check that out could you give like a brief, like what goes on throughout the book? Like what? Yeah. I know you said that it's the guide to PTSD, but what is, what does that mean? I I'm so glad that you asked, you know, I'm wondering if it would be okay with you. If I kind of read just a little excerpt from the book that might answer that question better than me stumbling over my own tongue. Yes. Go ahead. I I appreciate that. I just, for your listeners, I just want to read the, the intro to the book. And that's because, well, let me let me not preface it. So, uh, dear soldier, or in this case, Marine. Mm-hmm. So we don't know each other. 
I only know that you've picked up this book and for the moment you're reading that. I appreciate it. Talking about PTSD is my thing. So after my third deployment, I was definitely not okay and nobody knew how to help me. My chain of command, my doctors, my family, or me. I worked hard to get better and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Eventually, I got my master's degree in mental health counseling. I started teaching troops. So I am convinced that when we know the no shit facts about PTSD, we make more informed choices and get better faster. So I'm going to write this book directly to you as if you were sitting in my class. Now, my classes can feel uncomfortable. PTSD, it's an unpleasant topic and people don't like to talk about it. I get that, but that is not good for us. Your life is at stake, my friend, and I'm not here to fuck around. I intend to be as straightforward as I know how to because I know that PTSD can kill you. We're going to talk about suicide, war crimes, depressions, relationships, and a lot more. See, I'm one of those therapists who came to the profession later in life. I'm not here to waste time. I'm going to teach you everything I wish I knew when I started my own journey. And while you're not going to like it, it's probably what you need to hear. So I know that PTSD is an ass kicker. I realize you might not be up to reading a book, but maybe you can try this one and I'll keep it short. Another reason I wrote this book is that service members often don't know that they have PTSD or they know they have PTSD and they don't know what to do about it. Maybe we believe rumors and lies, like PTSD never goes away. We continue to feel helpless. This book might find its way into the hands of someone who never knew help was there, and it may show you where to find it. One last thing, I swear. I want to say that up front because a lot of folks are uncomfortable with coarse language, and that is completely okay. I respect that. This for real, is not the right book for you. I don't swear because I'm trying to be cool or provocative. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or make you feel sad on the inside. Mm. Truth is that not swearing is inauthentic for me. And because nothing less than your life is at stake, I will not apologize for what I have to say. There are a lot of great guides out there for civilians and clinicians. But this book... This book's for service members. It's from one soldier to another, from me to you. Because if someone had given me this very book back in 2005, it would have saved me years of bullshit. Thank you for allowing me to share that, Jen. Yeah, I love, and I love, you know, just from that little tidbit, I, like you said, it's not that you're swearing to make people uncomfortable. In reality, like, that's just the military culture. You're trying to, you know relate to them because that is that is like no shit how we are that's just how we talk it's a part of our language like if you talking to me like I hate that like cussing is such a weird like look frowned upon kind of thing because it's just sometimes how some of us just talk and you know being in the military culture it's just the way we are it's just how we relate to things and that's why like I love your title like how to no shit reclaim your life is I, I laugh at it, but I love it because, like, it makes sense. And what you're doing makes sense. So you talked about, you know, your classes and stuff. But, like, do you have, like, do you do online counseling? Like, what exactly do you all do now, you know, with your license and being a counselor and all these different things? So thank you for that question. So I do have a small private practice, and, and I work with clients in Texas and Louisiana. But 
uh, the main thrust of our work is is really getting getting the word, you know, spreading the gospel of of PTSD and letting people know that you know what PTSD is, what it's not, and how to get the help they need. You don't have to talk to me to get help for PTSD. And one thing in the book that we that we do our best to really stress is that you know, listen, there are three evidence based treatments for PTSD, three of them. They are widely available. They and you know they're and they're uh, actually approved by the Department of Veteran Affairs. So that's cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, and EMDR. So we can ask for them by name. Those aren't the only three evidence based treatments, but those are the ones that are accepted by the VA, and it, they're everywhere. You can ask for them by name. You can most certainly find a therapist within your area to help you with that. And within eight to 12 or eight to 15 sessions, you can literally experience a comeback. You can no shit reclaim your life. And, you know, treatment is not easy. It doesn't tickle, but it's also, it's not forever. You know, this, it is, it is not going to take forever. And that's whether you've been dealing with PTSD symptoms for five months or 50 years. You know, right now we're seeing a lot of uh, Vietnam veterans, especially with the fall of Afghanistan. That's Mm -hmm. a real triggering event for our Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing them come into the therapeutic environment, looking for that help and and really reclaiming their lives, not just reducing symptoms, but reclaiming their relationships, talking with their grandchildren for the first time. You know, talking, you know, making their community because we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community. And so the one thing I really want service members to know and veterans to know is that help is available, but we need to ask for it by name. And so a big part of what we do in the book is I'm trying to demystify PTSD. This isn't rocket surgery. PTSD is unbelievably straightforward. It is unbelievable, unbelievably easy to understand. And, you know, when it comes to PTSD, we've got a lot of folks running around with their puzzle piece and, and saying, you know, things like, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to help you with equine therapy and I'm going to help you with this. And, and it, okay, don't write me a strongly worded email talking about your horses. I, I get it. <laughs> but, you know, we've got all these people running around with puzzle pieces and, you know, I'm a linguist at heart. I, language matters to me. And the question that I always want to know is, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I had a great NCO as an enlisted person who said, you know, are you picking up what I'm putting down? And that's really important. Are we picking up what people are putting down? And when it comes to PTSD, there's a ton of information out there. There are literally billions and billions of dollars going into research. So why are we still at 22 suicides a day and going up? What we're doing isn't working. Just by just by that data point alone, what we're doing isn't working. So how can we have service members and veterans pick up what we're putting down? I think now, what plays a big, sorry to cut you off. No, um, hit me, girl. I think what plays a big part in this, like I spoke about this in the round table. So like every month we have a round table. And one of the big things was, the the way we called it was the now veterans, the now times of the people that were in op- operation during freedom or operation. Jeez, fucking Louise, if I could learn how to talk. OIF or OEF. There we fucking go. Sheesh. Gotcha. Um, 
they have they created this you know stigma of well you don't you didn't see shit or even if you did it's not validated or if you experience these things you know well, what about Joe Schmo Schmuckatelli over here? His trauma's worse. And I think that's where we're right, like, especially right now, is we're really stuck in the stigma of, well, if you claim that you have PTSD or say you have PTSD or depression, anxiety, or anything of that sort, like, you are just looked upon like you're weak or a bitch or, you know, that's where we're in this really bad time where we talk about, you know, 22 a day till nine or all these like different sayings that everybody has, but it's like, what are we actually doing now? Like when they started like the 22 a day push up thing, that was great. It brought awareness, but now it's to the point where like, we're past the awareness stage. It's a matter of what you're actually doing to help that person or to help those people and normalizing that people have fucking problems they can get ptsd not just from combat related issues you know with like their sexual assault and domestic violence or whatever it is like there are different forms of it and people just need to realize like it's okay if somebody wants to go get fucking help that's what we need to be encouraging is getting that help we are not all therapists we are all definitely not as you know well versed as like you are with the licensings and all these different things but at the end of the day, it's like you have to just talk to people. Don't be a dick. Be a decent effing human and just buddy check. Like that's a huge thing is buddy checking. And if you can't help that person, guide them in the fucking direction to where they can get the help that they need. Still be there for them. But it's a matter of like how we've created this huge stigma. And it's just like vastly growing because you've got service members excuse me, service members who have been serving during peacetime. And it's like, what? that's not our fault that we're serving during peacetime. It's just the time, you know, that we're in or have been in or whatever it is. Hmm. But it's like, well, we didn't see combat, so we're not validated. Wow. I value you saying that very, very much. You're singing my song. And, <laughs> um, and, and you know, right the first thing that we address in the book in the very first chapter and and by the way i'd like to offer your listeners a, a free a free uh, preview copy of the book you can get it um at thesoldiersguide.com sign up for our newsletter and we'll give you a free preview copy of the book you'll also get access uh to our quick start guide and, and what that covers is is rumors about ptsd so we're going to cover what ptsd isn't and then what it is, we go through the criteria step by step. And this is really great for your listeners who are going for a CMP exam, sorry, compensation and pension exam, say with the VA, or if you're thinking, wow, I, I, I may have PTSD, but I'm not one of these, uh, you know, I'm not uh, a trigger puller. I'm not, you know, a combat vet so that you can well advocate for yourself. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the rumors that we cover right off the bat in the beginning of the book is this, this, and I hear it all the time with hundreds of clients is that PTSD is only for military. Moreover, within the military community, you know, only combat vets and within combat, that's only trigger pullers, only bell ringers, only do uh, door knockers. Moreover, I hear this rumor, you know, I don't deserve 
to have PTSD. You know, that somehow PTSD is reserved for people who have earned it somehow. So things I hear often, you know, I can't have PTSD, Virginia, because I, I never left the fob. I can't have PTSD because I never fired my weapon. Or I can't have PTSD because my convoy never got schwacked. So that is not a thing. That is fundamentally not how PTSD works. And we talk about that a lot in the chapter that's available uh, online for your, for your listeners. You know, suffice it to say that our brains and our bodies react the same way every time our convoy leaves the wire, whether we get schwacked or not. Um, trauma, unfortunately, is pretty ubiquitous. If we haven't, if we've learned one thing with Me Too, it's that, you know, this is pretty ubiquitous in North America. It's pretty hard at this point not to have personally experienced trauma or personally know someone who has. Trauma is a big umbrella, friend. It is a big umbrella. So it's defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's a big-ass purple book that your therapist absolutely should have. And it gives the definition uh, of all the all of the different mental health disorders uh, that we can experience. And the first criterion, criterion alpha is, you know, that PTSD is actual or threatened exposure. I say again, actual or threatened exposure to death, serious injury, or sexual violence. That is a big umbrella, friend. Mm -hmm. That's a big umbrella. And those are the those are the down and dirty facts. You know, so that can be anything from uh, intimate partner violence, you know, which I know is your platform being trafficked, being bully beaten, sexual abuse, rape, natural disaster, genocide, growing up in a dangerous place. I mean, this literally goes on and on. And the data are very clear. Most of us have either experienced trauma ourselves or personally know someone who has, you know, and then there's this idea of PTSD being reserved for people who have earned it. So things I hear in therapy, I don't deserve to have PTSD. At least I came home in one piece. My trauma wasn't combat related. So this idea of deserving it. So, I mean, let's get some real talk here. I don't deserve to have the flu. I was about to say, these like, that terminology, like hearing that, it's like, we don't, de- like, nobody wants that shit. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Mean, this nobody wants to have PTSD or depression or anxiety. Nobody fucking wants that. So yeah. why do we have this stigma of, well, you don't fucking rate it. Fuck <laughs> you. I don't even want to have it, but here the fuck we are. Yeah, I mean, I don't deserve the flu. I don't deserve HIV or malaria or schizophrenia, but flu doesn't give a shit about that. You know, we do not get a choice and PTSD is same, same. But elephant in the room, lady, is that, you know, we talk about trauma comparison. Uh, And trauma comparison is that one-upsmanship. So, for example, your platform is intimate partner violence, and I really applaud you. And shameless plug, I really... Uh, congratulate you on your Veterans Podcast Award nomination. <laughs> Thank up you. October fifth. Tune in on Facebook. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so when I'm working with survivors of domestic violence and partner violence, I never ever hear anyone say one person say to another, "Hey, you think you had it bad, lady? Oh, I went to the hospital three times." You know, I never hear that kind of one-upsmanship when it comes to survivors of other trauma. Because it is sincerely fucked up 
to engage in this type of comparison. So saying that my trauma is more traumatic than your trauma, it is unhelpful. And I hear it often, often among military clients. Things like, well, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, or I got blown up twice. So trauma comparison is shitty. We need to be very honest about that. And you're a shitty person if you do it. Mm -hmm. so if, and let's talk about why. First of all, keep your strongly worded email to yourself there. <laughs> um, but we ha I don't think it's anybody's intent to, to one-up, you know, to one-up somebody else. But we need to talk about the unintended second and third order effects. It belittles people. It dismisses their experience. And more importantly, it keeps them from getting the help that they need and that they deserve to no shit reclaim their lives. Trauma comparison. It, it's right up there with, um, you know, toxic positivity. You know, it's not helpful. There is, you know, when I understand that people are just trying to help, you know, well, you just need to cut out gluten or you just need to PT more. I get that it is not anyone's intent to, to be mean, that they're trying to say what worked for them. But there are unintended second and third order effects when it comes to that. And it can really, it is belittling. It is dismissing. And it's very often aimed at, aimed down, you know, aimed at, at more vulnerable populations. So it, you know, this type of language is, is very often, especially in a therapeutic milieu, is aimed at women. It's aimed at persons of colors. It's aimed as people identify as queer. And that's not okay. Everybody Absolutely. deserves to have a comeback. Absolutely. That's what I think. I think what you do is so important as well. You know, being an advocate for this kind of stuff and being like, look, I, I know a thing or two about a thing or two from personal experience and I've got credentials. So, hey, here the fuck it is. Let's go. And you're not like one of those ones that's, you know, sunshines and rainbows. And, you know, again, you're the no shit. This is how it is. Now let's get you on the path because that's what, again, like you said, language is most important and that's what people need to feel like it's relatable for them to even take that step. And that's like why I think it's good that we're collaborating too, because that's how I run the podcast. I don't want the podcast, you know, sunshines and rainbows and frou-frou shit because like this is the real life shit that's going on, has been going on, and it's time that it's got to fucking stop, whether it's the assaults or the stigma with mental health. Like it's got, you just have to be blunt about it. Like there's no stepping on toes. Like, look, motherfucker, this is what's going on and it's not okay. I agree. And I, it's not about hurting people's feelings and making them feel sad on the inside. Mm -hmm. That is not my intent. And, um, you know, I'm, I always feel sad when people take personally what is not personal. But, you know, that says a lot more about, you know, Freud would have called that projection. And that says a lot more about about them, that person than about me and the people who criticize you as well. Jay, don't you know, haters going to hate, but, you know, in the words of the Dalai Lama, you just got to shake it off, <laughs> shake it off. Right. But, you know, it's it, I want people to understand not just what PTSD isn't in terms of the rumors and lies and things that aren't true, but will mess with your head. What it is so that you can understand that, unfortunately, you know, what you're going through is probably pretty normal. And uh, so you can go ahead and advocate for yourself. But moreover, 
I want veterans and service members to know that there is a way out. There's a way out. The number one rumor I hear, Jay, is that PTSD has no cure. And add to that, I'll always have PTSD. I'll never get better. Or the symptoms might go away, but the PTSD will always be there. And these beliefs are so powerful and so widely held that a lot of people give up before they even get started. So that's not true, though. It's not true. You know, and there are those three evidence-based treatments for PTSD that, again, are approved by the Department of Veteran Affairs, and which is, you know, this notorious bureaucracy. So when the VA approves something, it, it becomes very widely available. So that's that prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, and EMDR. So those three have been proven to work for most people most of the time. I say again, that it works for most people most of the time. And it's really important that when we go to seek help, that we, that we are asking for those evidence-based treatments by name. You know, let's say we have a broken arm. We have a broken arm and we go to the emergency room. We fell off a ladder, boom, my arm's all out of whack. I go to the emergency room and I see a brand new resident who has never seen a broken arm in the flesh before. Never seen it doesn't know what to do. And they say, you know, not exactly sure what that is, but most of the time when people go to a chiropractor, they feel a lot better, you know, because who doesn't like a massage? It always makes me feel good. So that is where I'm going to send you with your broken arm, Jay. I'm going to send you down to chiropractor and we're going to get it. We're going to get you squared away. So you don't know you have a broken arm because in, in, in this metaphor, that wouldn't work. Um, and <laughs> you go, you know, you go to the chiropractor and you feel good temporarily, you know, it's because massages do feel good, but guess what? Your arm is still fucking broken. So you're going to have to go back to the emergency room, back to the doctor, you know, maybe after years, after it's already, already set, you know, uh, out of place, maybe, maybe after you've gone and you've seen specialists. It is so unbelievably important that we go and we see a specialist for PTSD. So a lot of folks don't know this. I sure didn't know it when I got started in this biz. Um, you know, therapists tend to specialize. For example, I specialize in combat trauma. That's pretty much all I do. I am a one-trick pony. So that I can do other things. You know, I could certainly help with anxiety or, you know, talk with you about your daddy issues. But it's not what I do best. It's not what I do best. And so if a client comes to me and they have an eating disorder or problem with, you know, need help with their adolescent or, or need some parenting help, I am going to send you to a therapist who specializes in that. Because why would I waste your time? Why would I waste your time? And when it comes to PTSD, we need to get to a PTSD specialist, somebody who no kidding specializes and is trained in an evidence-based treatment for PTSD. I want to tell you why that's important. So evidence-based treatments, these, you'll hear them, uh, you know, because if it's not an acronym, it's not real. So EBTs, you know, they're based on peer-reviewed scientific evidence. That means that researchers conduct rigorous studies. They use scientific methods. They document their research in peer-reviewed publications. Then other researchers conduct additional studies to see if that treatment 
actually works. So it, it it's a lot like the way the FDA uh, would test a drug. So these double blind um, longitudinal studies, I mean, over the course of dec- decades. So the bottom line is that a ton of time and research goes into evidence-based treatments and we have proof that they work. We have proof that they work. And again, those, you know, there are those three evidence-based treatments available, at, you know, at most military treatment facilities, VA clinics and therapists and private practice. Now, and if you go to a special, you know, somebody who doesn't specialize in PTSD, you know, you can certainly, you know, do general talk therapy or do medication therapy. And, you know, it might make you feel better. But you're going to go back because your arm's fucking broken. You know, it's just, it is what it is. We have evidence. You got to do the thing, Jay. (laughs) Got to do the thing, lady. And, you know, let's be real. You know, these treatments do not tickle, but they're not forever. Here's your straw. They are not forever. We're talking eight to 15 sessions. So if you're doing this in an intensive environment, it's three to four weeks. Three to four weeks. And what the the data are very clear, when you're using an evidence-based treatment for PTSD, it works for most people most of the time. Now let's have some real talk. Researchers know, I as a therapist know, that there's a certain percentage of folks whose PTSD will not respond to those three evidence-based treatments. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're FUBAR. doesn't mean you're beyond hope. It just means that we need another avenue of approach. And there are researchers, the researchers that I know are incredibly passionate about their work. And, and there is a lot of money in PTSD research, great clinical trials and solutions to try. So, you know, as of this recording that we're doing today in October, 2021, you know, some of those we call that treatment resistant PTSD. Treatment resistant. That's just a, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you're FUBAR. Again, it just means we need another avenue of approach. So we have the stellate ganglion block. They call that the God shot. Uh, ketamine, marijuana, MDMA, couples therapies, um, and a lot of treatments that help with PTSD and what we call a co occurring disorder. So a co occurring disorder. Think about it like this. So PTSD is one of those disorders. And I want to be super clear. So disorder is a clinical word. It's a clinical word. There's no judgment attached to it. I know a lot of folks take exception. I don't, I'm not disordered. Calm down. What that means is that you're walking, talking, everyday life is being significantly clinically affected by your symptoms. So it doesn't mean that you're out of order. It's just yeah, it doesn't mean that you're all fucked up like a football bat. It just means that's a clinical word. So calm down. And, you know, it, it, those co-occurring disorders, PTSD always comes to the party with friends. Think about it like this. You know, it's a real joiner that way. And the five most common disorders that I see PTSD coming to the party with is drug or alcohol use, misuse. Um, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, what we call OCD, and eating disorders. And I'm stomping my foot on that last one because we see that a lot within our active duty environment, eating disorders. 
So we're talking binging, purging, um, withholding food, over-exercising, that sort of thing. So we see that a lot. And you know, a lot. another thing that we often see when people come in for treatment is moral injury. And moral injury is not something that is talked about a lot, and I think it should be. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure if you've covered moral injury on your show already. Is that something that you've already talked about? No, actually, it's not. Oh, snap. So can, can I share? Go ahead. I know we're at 46 minutes and I don't want to be that. Oh, long. no, you're you're fine. You are fine. Babe. This this is my thing. This is my thing. And um, I remember the first time I learned about moral injury. So this is research. Uh, by Brett Litz at uh, Boston University, and he's also with the the Boston VA. And when I first uh, came upon his research, I thought to myself, how is it that no one is talking about this? Because his research reads as if he sat around a campfire and got pissed drunk with a lot of vets who served together and took excellent notes. And what we know is that PTSD, it's rooted in fear. So our brain performs, you know, incredible mental acrobatics in order to keep us alive. That's our brain's number one job is to keep us alive. So moral injury, however, that's rooted in shame. So it stems from events. And right now, it um, moral injury really is kind of specific to the military experience. But once I explain it, I think you will you'll see all the parallels, especially when it comes to intimate partner violence. So it sh- it stems from the those experiences that violate our own deeply rooted expectations of ourselves and expectations of others. So moral injury is born in the should. You know, how someone should be treated, how my chain of command should respond, how things should work in war, in life. So these are the things that we did or didn't do. These are the things that other people didn't do. These are things that we can't unfuck. So the research on moral injury is absolutely brilliant. And um, it, it tidally puts moral injury into three distinct categories. So combat loss, that's when we... We lose a Marine. We lose a soldier downrange. Uh, Perpetration. So those are are what we call acts of omission or commission. So this is where we we have those, you know, war crimes, uh, witnessing war crimes, witnessing um, sexual assault, things like that. And then leadership betrayal. So leadership betrayal, everybody makes mistakes, but leadership betrayal really... Uh, it's behaviors that are especially capricious, really risky, and in, entail that wholly unfair treatment. So it, those consequences can really be horrific. Toxic leaders, you know, unfortunately, they thrive in the military. Uh, and, and they do in war also because, uh, you know, toxic leaders thrive in chaotic situations. So in in situations of leadership betrayal, those leaders violate all reasonable expectations of moral and ethical conduct. And moreover, it is unlikely that they'll be punished for it or be held to account because that's just not how the military works. So think about harassment, hazing, uh, unlawful orders, sexual assault. Now, these are things that tend to be more in check the closer you are to the flagpole. 
Um, but sometimes not, you know, as, as you explore, you know, on your podcast, when it comes to intimate partner violence in the field, you know, this is, this is even more prevalent, you know, it's game on for those kind of those slick sleeve psychopaths because they are literally wielding the power of life and death. So this is the idea of unnecessarily risking the safety of troops, um, alienating a single troop till they commit suicide, threatening troops with violence. Um, not that I'm bitter, but you know, Napoleon famously said, it's amazing what a man will do for a piece of colored ribbon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or a combat action ribbon or a bronze star or any other medal for that matter. And, um, you know, when it comes to moral injury, these are things that are very hard to digest, very hard to digest because we need to look in terms of treatment for moral injury. We need to not just process the trauma, but we need to process the trauma and its meaning. So this, this gets into the really uncomfortable woo woo spiritual stuff that no one likes to talk about, especially therapists, if, if we're being for real. But, you know, think about it, you know, if you don't like the idea of, of looking at something spiritually, you, see, you know, use a more general term, like an existential crisis. Everybody seems to, to experience one of those once in a while. So moral injury, it brings us a deep spiritual or existential sense of distress. So we have to dive into our feelings in order to understand who we are after the experience and what it all means. You know, what is... What is the why behind this what? It takes that exploration. And thankfully, when someone has is diagnosed, and when I say diagnosed, I'm using that term loosely. So uh, moral injury is not something that we're going to find in that diagnostic statistical manual right now. So that is something, and again, another reason why it's important to, to work with folks if you can I say again, if you can, who specialize in military mental health, because we keep up on this. You know, we we geek out on research. We are looking at everything. So, you know, for folks who are, we can say, wow, this is moral injury. We have evidence-based treatment for moral injury. In my practice, I use something called adaptive disclosure. And that was developed by Brett Litz, that researcher I was telling you about. And it's a one-session add-on to prolonged exposure therapy, which we remember is a, 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 an evidence-based treatment for PTSD. But there, there are other ones as well. So a lot of VAs offer acceptance and commitment therapy. There are faith-based interventions, group therapy. We have a lot to help troops who are experiencing moral injury or what might be better known as uh, institutional betrayal. So this, you know, that institutional betrayal, what do we do when the institution that we are a part of betrays us? So that while that's not part of moral injury and is a different research field, we can certainly see how these two things would dovetail and come together. It's an interesting concept that, I'd, like you said, a lot of people probably don't even realize or look into at all you might have just inspired a whole new episode for me as well <laughs> you know institutional betrayal it's um jennifer freyd f-r-e-y as in yankee d is in delta um she is out at the university of oregon and she's freaking brilliant um and she if you uh you can do a quick google search of institutional betrayal she has a um 
our research homepage at the University of Oregon um, that does a really good job uh, talking about this. She's she's uh, she actually came up with the Darvo model, um, and that was actually even covered on South Park. Um, has a South Park episode, so that's the. Um, you know, we saw this with the with the Me Too movement. This idea of deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. So uh, when some, you know, when someone is, um, you know, says, "Hey, I was sexually assaulted," that it becomes uh, survivor blaming. You know, and this is something that you talk about in your own podcast, where your ex came back and said, "Well, she slapped me first. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is classic Darvo. And um, and and uh, Dr. Freud came up with that institutional Darvo and talks about it at length. Her her research is so brilliant. I won't. You should have her on your show. She's smart. What was her name again? Freud. F R E Y D. Jennifer Freud. Okay. So yeah. with your book, so to kind of switch gears a little bit, like with your book, you know, you talk about PTSD, and if somebody was interested in reading it, is it only like, do you talk about it solely being based with, like, combat-related things, or is it just in general, as a service member, suffering through these kind of things? Like, could, so if a sexual assault victim or domestic violence victim wanted to read it, you know, is that something that they can look into as well? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we try to do in the book is to really dispel that myth that PTSD is for combat troops only. Is absolutely not true. Again, that that definition of of trauma in the DSM and that diagnostical statistical manual is a huge umbrella, and so that's one of the things that we that we chip right off the bat. This book really does its best to dispel the myth that PTSD is only for folks who have survived combat. That is not a thing. Um, you know, the definition of trauma is is very wide. It's a it's a big old umbrella, and unfortunately, a lot of people experience PTSD. So this book is written for service members who are experiencing PTSD from any kind of trauma. But we do cover things that are that are really specific to military members that aren't really that probably aren't appropriate for for civilians. So, you know, we talk about how to find an expert, you know, how do I find, you know, how do I find a therapist to help me? And there are resources that are available for active duty military and for veterans that aren't available for civilians. We get into some real talk about suicide and suicide attempts. And again, this is coming from a very veteran centric, um, military centric point of view. Uh, The idea of finding social support. So you're getting ready to ETS and, or, or, and, you know, get out of the military and end your term of service. And one of the hardest things for new veterans is how do I find friends? How do I, how do I meet real people, quote unquote, real people? <laughs> and so we talk about social support. Social support is a, is a froofy term that therapists use that means friends. And uh, as geeky as it sounds, we know that social support is absolutely vital, vital to recovery from PTSD and from moral injury. So we talk about how do we make friends in the civilian world? And we have step-by-step, we've got, um, we have scripts because I don't know about you, but I need scripts. 
I need to practice before I get out there. Um, we have a chapter that deals with how do we talk to people who matter about our PTSD. So this is how do we talk to our kids about needing to go to rehab for alcohol or drug abuse? How do I talk to my spouse? How do I talk to my parents about my PTSD? Um, because real talk, our loved ones know something is wrong. They know something's wrong. They may not know what, or they probably have an idea that it's PTSD, but it is the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And so we, we specifically talk about that and we have those scripts because it needs to be based on really good science. There's, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. We have great research. So let's tap into it. Then we have another chapter about how do we talk to people that we have to talk to, but maybe are, don't have our best interests in mind. So our HR department, human resources, you know, neither human nor resourceful. How, mm -hmm. do, we, how do we talk to HR? How do we talk to our boss? How do we talk to the judge? How do we talk to our command team about, about our or PTSD about needing to go through treatment or getting recovery because there is a narrative, there is an elephant. So we talk about uh, something called an elevator speech, which is really important in controlling our narrative and gaining support, especially from chain of command. So we have a lot of examples of how to bring that together. And then the last thing we talk about in the book is relapse prevention. So relapse is one of those things that we hear a lot about with drugs and alcohol. Like, oh, so-and-so fell off the wagon again. But relapse is just about going to an earlier point in time. So, you know, we can have relapse when it comes to, you know, physical ailments. Um, God, I'm feeling that right now. I have to go to the dentist next week. Uh, <laughs> um, but it certainly can be the case with PTSD, with depression, with anxiety, um, you know, with an eating disorder, we have to think about, you know, how do I keep from getting back to that place? And relapse prevention is all about boundaries. How do I create and maintain healthy boundaries? And moreover, how do I do it if I'm still active duty? How do I maintain, how do I create and maintain healthy boundaries when I'm active duty, how do I deal with a toxic leader? How do I deal when I am being targeted because I spoke up, because I ruffled feathers? <laughs> how, you know, how do I deal with that? And while we don't, you know, there are other books that very well handle that. And, and we, we mentioned them by name in the book. Um, you know, we cover that. So this, this book really, it, it's not... It is definitely not just for combat vets, although combat vets will be well served um, talking about this. But it's, um, you know, this is definitely very military Pacific, you know, as opposed to being military Atlantic. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we, the goal is just to keep it real. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be all highfalutin. I, I'm not going to be presenting anything, you know, at an APA uh, conference, an American Psychological Association conference. This is not for that. You know, this book is, is my love letter to troops. It is my love letter because I'm, I'm just done. I'm done with, I'm done with losing friends to this. Mm -hmm. I'm not, at this point, 
I, I, Jay, I don't know anyone at this point who has lost more friends to combat than they did to suicide. And that, that cuts me, that cuts me to the core. Um, and I'm sick of losing my friends to suicide, especially when there is an answer it's out there. Um, we just gotta, you know, it, it's just not there in a way that people can pick up what we're putting down and that's a failure. And so we, and, you know, on our, our Facebook page, um, definitely go check out the soldier's guide to PTSD on Facebook. Um, we have a really interactive, uh, fun community. Um, it was great out there. Um, we have a Twitter page and I won't pretend that I know how that works, but <laughs> story I of my life woman, you're <laughs> not kidding, but you know, we have an incredible team and I'd love to shout out to them. So like Barbie McRae, Nicole Tribbett, Katie Salidas, um, man, we are just this little tribe of true believers. Uh, you know, nobody goes into mental health for the money or the fame. We're just out here to change the world. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, we're having we're having the book translated into Spanish. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that'll be coming out in in the new year in 2022. And the reason for that is because, you know, not everybody speaks English, and not everybody's family speaks English. Um, I serve here in the Valley. I'm in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, and I live in McAllen, uh, Texas. We, we're called the South Pole of Texas. We are the most uh, southern city on the border. It is an absolute privilege to serve here. It's an absolute privilege of mine. And this is a 93% Latinx community. And I am astounded at the lack of resources that are available for Spanish-speaking service members. And, and we have a border mission. You know, we have active duty troops here. Um, a lack of resources for Spanish speaking, uh, you know, family members, people who love active duty troops and veterans. And that's not okay. Again, you know, I'm coming at it from a linguistic perspective. You know, it, it for me, it's all about access. How can we provide an excellent quality of care to folks, even if they're black? or queer, or speak Spanish, or have a vagina? You know, is it possible that every service member, Lottie Dottie, everybody deserves to have high quality, absolute, excellent mental health care, even if we're from a low socioeconomic status, or we're not seen as, you know, bro vets? You know, we're, we're not what anyone would, you know, last, you know, when I, when I go to the VA and you'll get this experience soon, unfortunately, you know, when I go to the VA for my own healthcare, I'm often approached and asked, oh, are you waiting for your husband? And I'm like, oh, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's not done with malice, but you know, it, it is what it is. And uh, our goal with this book and our goal with our future pro projects is just to, you know, to spread the gospel, to spread the word. Uh, upcoming, we'll be doing online classes. So we're going to be, um, you know, tune into our Facebook page, uh, again, at thesoldiersguide.com. And you'll be able to find out when we're going to be doing our first, oh, goodness, a Facebook live class. Have you ever done one of these, Jay? Oh, no. <laughs> I am. I'm excited slash horrified slash excited. Um, I'm just scared because I've never done it before, but you know, I haven't done most things before. So all in. 
And uh, we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing live Facebook classes. We're going to be doing online classes, just because it's about access. Uh, we have a, an audio book. It was the, one of the first things that we did. I was about to say, with access, if somebody wanted to get your book, where where would they? Where do you go? Where do you? How do they access getting to your book? Oh, for sure, go to thesoldiersguide.com. Go ahead, sign up for our newsletter. Get your free preview copy. Um, check it out. Make sure that it's for you, because you know, like I said, I this book is not for everyone. Um, this is definitely for service members. It's got a little bit of course language and it might not be for you, but you can find, you can find our audio book. You can find, uh, you know, ebook, actual paperback book, you know, wherever books are sold, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, we're, we're pretty widely available. Um, but we created, you know, we created the, the audio book because I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Um, you know, I'm certain. I'm certainly not going to throw the blame on anyone else, but you know, I very rarely read books myself. If I'm being for real and honest, I listen to everything. I listen to podcasts. I, um, even books and articles that I read, I have a program on my phone, a little app that will convert them to audio so that I can listen to. I'm one of those weirdo audio learners, you know, I'm a linguist, so that makes sense. But, um, you know, I want to hear things and I may not have time to read a book, but man, I got to commute. And mm-hmm. most, of, even if most of us don't have time to read a book or to get more information, most of us have a commute, you know, love it or leave it. And, uh, and we get an opportunity to, to listen. And so one of the first projects that we did was, was create an audiobook so that, and don't worry, I'm, I'm not the reader of the audiobook. <laughs> we have we have an we have an incredible um an incredible artist who who did our audiobook and uh and just get the information you know get the information listen to podcasts we just want to make this accessible so because everybody deserves to to have a comeback from this we're even uh available right now on um what's that thing called the Kindle Unlimited so people who have Kindle Unlimited, you can get the book for free. You get the book for free. You can download it. You can, you know, find a program, an app that'll read it to you. You can get our audio book. Uh, you know, go ahead and use up your Audible credits that are just withering away in your account, or at least mine are. That's total projection on my part. Um, but but get access. And, and you know, if, if you don't have time, just go ahead and get your preview copy. Sign up for our newsletter you know, check out our community on Facebook, on Twitter. We're here, we're around. And, you know, don't think that I, that I have a life because that is so not a thing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love to interact with our readers and our listeners. It is an absolute privilege. And, and it's prompted a lot of new uh, projects coming up. So one thing that surprised me is I got to, I've been hearing from a lot of Vietnam vets, Vietnam era vets who who, you know, have asked for their own version of the book. And at first I was like, oh, come on. But then, you know, they're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's, it's not the same war. It's not the same war cycle. Um, you know, they, man, our Vietnam vets, when they came home, um, they were spit on, they were sworn at, they mm-hmm. were protested. It was... Um, I can't even imagine. 
I can't even imagine. Um, my dad uh, was a Vietnam vet and uh, he died in 2019. And, you know, one of the things that always haunted me was that he never talked about his experience and about coming home. And, you know, I remember especially going to my first deployment in, in 03, going into Iraq there was a group of Vietnam veterans who were in a, an airport in Maine and this little, um, this little regional airport in Maine. And these Vietnam vets came out and greeted us at the airport. And I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I was scared out of my mind. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't, you know, we, we were all under the impression back then that it was going to be like the first Gulf war and that we would all be home in 30 days. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we really thought back then, Jay. It was mm. close. And these Vietnam vets came out and gave us cookies and coffee and talked to us. And they did so on the way home too. And they really made it. These Vietnam vets sacrificed a lot so that vets of the modern you know, war cycle didn't have to experience what they did. And that's what an incredible personal sacrifice. And I, and I deeply admire that. I deeply, I deeply revere and respect that. And so we're going to create in, in the next year a book just for them. Um, Katie Salidas, uh, I'm partnering with her. She's a fiction author, but she is just one of the smartest human beings I've ever met and uh, is a fantastic researcher. And we are creating a version of the book for women, just, just for women and not military specific for women. So we're creating, and it, it's going to have a different title, but uh, it'll, it will be, <laughs> you know, if you, instead of you know, not how to, you know, no shit, reclaim your life, you know, it'll be something, I, I, I don't know, a little, a little more soft, I guess. Not that, not that we need that, but, <laughs> um, but it is what it is. So, um, you know, interact with us on our page. We, I, you know, I don't think that I have all the ideas because I don't. I, I don't. And this is not about me. You know, this is about us. This is about how can we heal as a community? How can we come together as, as women, as service members, as veterans? How can we come together and heal each other? Because if we could do this on our, on our own, we would have already done it. Mm -hmm. But there is no doing this on our own. Oh, Absolutely. And we don't heal in, in isolation. We heal in community. That's one thing. You're never, it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. You can never do these things alone. You know, and as we kind of like start to wrap up towards the end, if there's one thing or piece of advice, you know, given your background, whether it's as a service member, you know, as somebody that has struggled with, you know, these different disorders, what piece of advice would you give, regardless of, you know, their gender, their branch, piece of advice would you give to service members? Absolutely. First thing I would say is understand your symptoms. And I know that this is really frustrating. What I'm about to say is going to, is going to just, it's, it's bullshit, but it is what it is. So take it for what it is. We have to understand our symptoms better than anyone, better than our chain of command, better than our doctors, better than our therapist, better than our CMP examiner. And that's frustrating, but we have to, we have to understand what is happening to us. 
And, and the reason for that is so that we can we can advocate for ourselves in order to effectively advocate for excellent treatment. We need to understand what we're going through. We need to understand the criteria. We need to sound smart when we're talking about our PTSD, especially if we're women or of color or queer. We have to sound extra smart. We have to sound like we, like, that we know what we're talking about. We need to sound smart. And it's not the way it should be, but it is what it is. And that's why we offered that, that free preview copy for anyone who would like to have it, because everyone deserves to understand our symptoms. You can get that at thesoldiersguide.com. The next thing I would say is once you understand your symptoms, because PTSD, it's not rocket surgery. I am fairly confident that everyone can read, that every service member can read that chapter, uh, that chapter on on the criteria and on the symptoms and pretty much figure out on their own whether or not we have PTSD. From there, I am going to advise you to not go to a generalist, but to go to a specialist. If you got cancer, you don't go to your PCM. You don't go to a podiatrist. You go to a no shit oncologist because cancer will kill you. Well, so will PTSD. PTSD will kill you. It will kill you. I, you know, we will schwack ourselves. It, it will take us out. So it's really important that we understand the criteria. We understand what we're going through, that we see a specialist and that we ask for evidence-based treatment by name. Don't fuck around. Don't go to someone's office and lie on the couch and talk about their, your daddy issues, your mommy issues. You can do that after. And I'm not, okay. So calm down there, fellow therapists. I, I get that people have attachment issues, and I'm not saying don't address that. So calm down. Keep your strongly worded. <laughs> but when it comes to PTSD, go see a specialist. Go ask for ask for that by name. And, you know, we talk about in the book how to find a no-shit specialist who can help me. What to ask for. Take control. And it's it doesn't tickle. But it's not forever. Eight to 12 sessions on average, 15 if you're going long. That means that if you're seeing a therapist once a week, it's two months of your life. You can do that. You can do that. If you have already survived, if you've survived it, you get to define it. I say again, if you survive it, you get to define it. Don't allow anyone else to, to define your experience. This is not a team sport. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you, Virginia, for taking the time to come on here to talk about your story. And, you know, like you said, you're not in this for fame or business. Like, you're in it to change the world. And it's super important because, like, that's how I roll. Like, I'm not in this for money. I'm not in this for a business. Like, it's just creating a better place for our service members and just a lot more life, more life to for those people because that's what they deserve. And, you know, having people like you as well to be that voice and to speak on these issues is so, so important. So, again, thank you so much for taking the time to not only come on here but to also do the damn thing. Thank you for caring about what we're doing. I really value your time. I value your audience. You know, 
one thing that I can say about our team, you know, we, we, we fuck up a lot, but we really care. We really, really care. And so I look forward to seeing you, seeing our listeners. Check us out on the Facebook page. Go to thesoldiersguide.com. Get our newsletter. Be in touch. It, it is such a privilege to be here. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. And on that note, I'm Jay Marie, and I got Joe back. Women with an F'd Up Mind is not DOD affiliated or any branch of service. We are not endorsed by any of them, even the ones that we serve in. We're just about stating our opinions, talking about the experiences, and just, hell, stating public records. So I just wanted to make that clear because all we're about is making people uncomfortable, ruffling as many feathers as we can, and, you know, doing the damn thing.